Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Certain dates echo throughout history, including dates that instantly remind all who have lived through them where they were and what they were doing when our democracy came under assault. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941, September 11th, 2001, and January 6th, 2021. You know, it's very rare that I do this, uh, but producer Ari stopped the music. Holy crap. I want to say much more. I could scream, but I won't be doing you any good because I can already hear you screaming in your car, screaming in your home, screaming as you're doing your workout because you're listening to this via podcast. Welcome, everybody. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, comparing January 6th to Pearl Harbor and September 11th. The obscenity in that line being so great and so extreme that if you were to agree, I would have a hard time being your friend. You see, do we agree on whether or not it's an insurrection that took place on January 6th? I say no. Some other people say yes. I can still be friends with them even though I think they're wrong. I don't believe it fits the dictionary definition of insurrection. I don't believe you can have an insurrection without weapons that go pew, pew, pew. I don't believe that's possible. You will not get me to excuse what happened on January 6th. It was wrong in every way. And I said at the time that I don't appreciate President Trump leaving the, the vice president, Mike Pence, there. His job was to protect the vice president of anything else. And he should have done so with speed. I said it then. I say it now. I don't change my words. But it wasn't an insurrection. It was violence. It was a riot. That much is true. Akin to September 11th? That's obscene. But what else do you expect from Vice President Kamala Harris except pure, raw, unadulterated obscenity? It's who she is. It comes to her like breathing. But really, it was nothing more than a uh, than an appetizer to President Biden, who took to the Capitol Rotunda. That's where the speech took place, the Capitol Rotunda, and wanted to let you know how horrible. January 6th was. In this sacred place, democracy was attacked, simply attacked. The will of the people was under assault. The Constitution, our Constitution, faced the gravest of threats. Outnumbered in the face of a brutal attack, the Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, the National Guard, and other brave law enforcement officials saved the rule of law. I like anything that discusses the rule of law because I believe that's what we are. We are a nation of laws, not a nation of men. 
So one should ask the question, why were people invited into the Capitol if these same people, uh, law enforcement, were also saving uh, the rule of law? Why were people invited in? Not everybody who went into the Capitol was violent. This is why I reject the people and reject the premise of you either uh, believe it's an insurrection or you're on the side of the violence. Not everybody who entered the Capitol that day were violent. That is not to excuse the people who were. That is just a matter of fact based on what we know, based on the information, based on the video footage. To deny that is to deny what actually happened, and I don't think that's rational. But someone should ask the president about this. Our democracy held. We, the people, endured. We, the people, prevailed. For the first time in our history, a president had not just lost an election, he tried to prevent the peaceful transfer of power as a violent mob breached the Capitol. But they failed. They failed. And on this day of remembrance, we must make sure that such attack never, never happens again. First, I didn't realize that we were calling it a day of remembrance. Secondly, I don't like riots, and we shouldn't have riots, just like we shouldn't have them in Minneapolis and Portland and Seattle. And for the people who say, Tony, that's a false equivocation, no, 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 no. It is not worse because it happened in the Capitol. America is not the Capitol. America is an idea. And I will be good and wholly damned if I'm going to allow other people to somehow to forget that concept. America is the streets of Minneapolis, and it is the person who owns the taco stand, and it is the person who fixes the shoes. It is in the streets of Portland and Seattle and Indianapolis and New York and Denver and Miami. That's where America is. It's in the belief that all men are created equal, that are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. I said that a little fast. Inalienable. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that governments are instituted amongst men. To secure those rights. It is not because a capital was attacked. It's a building. America was still here. You could be opposed to the attack, but not have to buy into the idea that America was going to fall apart at the seams because that part isn't true. You can also say at the same exact time, the people who wanted to engage in violence, they should never have been allowed in the building and there should have been far more security and why wasn't there? What happened? That's legitimate. That is fine. Let us find out together. This speech, however, took a nasty, nasty turn. Because it wasn't just Joe Biden talking about the rule of law. It was Joe Biden going after Donald Trump with such a level of glee that one should ask the question, wait, this guy claims to be a uniter? So let's speak plainly about what happened in 2020. Even before the first ballot was cast, the former president was preemptively sowing doubt about the election results. He built his lie over months wasn't based on any facts. He was just looking for an excuse, a pretext to cover for the truth. 
She's not just a former president. She's a defeated former president. Defeated by a margin of over 7 million of your votes in a full and free and fair election. There is simply zero proof the election results are inaccurate. In fact, in every venue where evidence had to be produced, an oath to tell the truth had to be taken, the former president failed to make his case. Just think about this. The former president and his supporters have never been able to explain how they accept as accurate the other election results that took place on November 3rd. The elections for governor, United States Senate, House of Representatives, elections which they closed the gap in the House. They challenged none of that. President's name was first. Then we went down the line. Governors, senators, House of Representatives. Somehow those results are accurate on the same ballot. But the presidential race was flawed. And on the same ballot, the same day, cast by the same voters, the only difference, the former president didn't lose those races. He just lost the one that was his own. You see, that's not a uniter. And just when you think he's like, hmm, maybe he's making a point. No, he's actually making the Trump supporters point. How could all these people have voted for Republicans up and down the line, and yet somehow Trump doesn't come out ahead? Close the gap, as Joe Biden just said. This is the part that drives them nuts. (sighs) But what he's really doing is telling those people off. What Joe Biden's really doing is telling those people off. Telling them they don't count and engaging in commentary like this as we stand here today one year since january 6 2021 the lies that drove the anger and madness we saw in this place they have not abated so we have to be firm resolute and unyielding in our defense of the right to vote and to have that vote counted Some have already made the ultimate sacrifice in this sacred effort. Jill and I have mourned police officers in this Capitol Rotunda not once but twice in the wake of January 6th. Once to honor Officer Brian Sicknick, who lost his life the day after the attack, and a second time to honor Officer Billy Evans, who lost his life defending this Capitol as well. We think about the others who lost their lives and were injured. And everyone can, can living we, with the trauma of that. For, for, for a second, Brian Sicknick did not lose his life because of what happened at the Capitol. He had a stroke later. Brian Sicknick was not hit by a fire extinguisher. The, the New York Times told that story, and that story was made up. That's not how Brian Sicknick died, Officer Sicknick. That isn't how it happened. So why is Joe Biden? He is saying that, right? That is what he's saying. In the wake of January 6th, once to honor Officer Brian Sicknick, who lost his life the day after the attack, and a second time to honor Officer Billy Evans, who lost his life defending this Capitol as well. 
You think about the. I I just want to make sure that we're we're clear about that. That Brian Sicknick did not lose his life because of what happened uh, at uh, at the Capitol. Now, as for Officer Billy Evans. He was not killed involving anything with the with, with the riot at the Capitol. He was killed later when a man rammed the 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 fencing that was around the Capitol. He was killed by a guy by the name of Noah Green, who was out of Indiana, and we had broken the story that this was a guy who had changed his name and converted to Islam. We broke that story. That had nothing to do with the Capitol attack. Had nothing to do with the riot. Zero. So now the president just brought up two people, one whom wasn't killed in in the Capitol riot or because of the Capitol riot, and one who had nothing to do with the Capitol riot. Why? Just to fan the flames? Is that what a uniter does? About the others who lost their lives and were injured, and everyone living with the trauma of that day, from those defending this Capitol, to members of Congress in both parties and their staffs, to reporters, cafeteria workers, custodial workers, and their families. Don't kid yourself. The pain and scars from that day run deep. I've said it many times, and it's no more true or real than we think about the events of January 6th. We are in a battle for the soul of America. A battle that by the grace of God and the goodness and gracious and greatness of this nation, we will win. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. We are in the battle for the soul of the nation. And if we're lucky and if we fight hard, it is one that we will win. Now, we're going to get into more uh, of this. Mark Hemingway is going to be uh, joining us from Real Clear Politics and Real Clear Investigations uh, to discuss uh, uh, his take and the take on... um, on on you know inside the beltway but i want to make sure i share this with you share this montage with you if we're going to be talking about violence i i I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country maybe there will be people need to start taking to the streets this is a dictator you know there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives enemies of the state show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful do something about your dad's immigration practices you feckless i always forget that i edited that 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 one out there are a lot of people on the political left both in culture and in politics calling for violence demanding violence demanding riots who never once condemned them can't we just say that it's wrong because it's wrong does it have to be all one side and nothing on the other? Does that create any value? 
is it whataboutism to say, well, what about? I don't think it's whataboutism. As a matter of fact, I've given up the whole ghost on that concept. It was not an insurrection. It was a riot. I don't favor the rioters. I think they were wrong, and none of them spoke for me. But the president of the United States didn't unite anybody and didn't say anything great. What he did was divide. What he did was harm. What he did was not help Democrats at all and in any way. And how do they write about it, the Daily Beast? This is the day that Joe Biden became president. Let's find out if that's true. I'm Tony Katz. Let's do a John Stewart update, shall we? Because we spoke yesterday of a story that was out. And the way the story went, it was as if John Stewart, the comic uh, television host, was going after J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter books for being anti-Semitic. And I said, what are we doing? What are we doing? And there were people who commented on it who said, oh, yeah, it really does amaze me how anti-Semitic they are. It's because uh, uh, in Gingrotz, uh, Gingrotz, Gringotts, 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 that's the bank. Uh, there are goblins who uh, who uh, work the uh, who work the bank and they're they look like uh, the, the old caricatures of Jews from like the Protocols of the Elders of Zion with the long, big noses and and John Stewart and, and on his show or his podcast was talking about this. And John Stewart came out to tell Newsweek, who did the story, to go straight to hell. And man, he got a lot nastier than that. He said it was a lighthearted conversation and somebody brought it up and we were talking about it. I am not accusing, he says, J.K. Rowling of being anti-Semitic. She need not answer to any of it. I don't want the Harry Potter movies censored in any way. It was a lighthearted conversation. Get a blanking grip. And referred to Newsweek as your business model is blanking arson. Um, well, <laughs> it was direct and focused. Uh, if, it, if, if the story was taken wrong, well, that stinks. Because that stinks because we, when we get these stories, we do our best to make sure they're, they're, they're correct. And I would not have thought this story was incorrect based on the information given and some of the other things said. But... I said she wasn't an anti-Semite, and John Stewart's saying she's not an anti-Semite. Uh, nothing about the books are anti-Semitic. That's all there is to it. Joe Biden speaks to the nation. How did they see it inside the Beltway? Mark Hemingway of Real Clear Investigations, Real Clear Politics, scheduled to join us next. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. be peacefully transferred I believe the power of the presidency and the purpose is to unite this nation not divide it to lift us up not tear us apart see about us about us not about me that's not how the speech went in my view if President Biden today was trying to unite the country over January 6th I don't think he got there. But is the view outside of D.C. different than the view inside the Beltway? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Mark Hemingway joins us right now. Senior writer at Real Clear Investigations. You see his work 
all over uh, the the place. And and I, I asked a series of questions, and I put it out on, on, on social media, to, uh, specifically to what I thought a speech like this was supposed to do. But before we get to my specific questions, Mark, let's get to an overall. You've covered uh, D.C. for a great number of years. You cover these the, these kinds of speeches. You cover and talk to the writers who cover these kinds of, uh, of speeches. Your take on Joe Biden's January 6th speech. Oh, I, I think the whole speech and, and all of the pomp and circumstances surrounding January 6th has been a huge you know, mistake. I think it's the Democratic Party grasping on uh, grasping at straws because they're trying to manipulate what should be a fairly solemn occasion um, for political ends, because, frankly, it's, it's all they've got. Um, you know, the the response to this speech, uh, hmm. I will never forget in Obama's presidency. Remember when Gabby Giffords was shot, the congresswoman from Arizona, and in the immediate aftermath, there was this you know massive national conversation where the New York Times blamed Sarah Palin for her getting shot, and everybody was talking about gun laws and all these other things. And Obama, you know, who I'm granted, I'm not a fan of him or his presidency, had the good sense to get up there and deliver a, an actually pretty good speech about how it was. This was the occasion for us to you know pause and take stock of what's happening. All around, instead of trying to, you know, you know, tribute uh, blame, um, you know, so that we can all, you know, come together as Americans and, and figure out what went wrong. You know, Biden had an opportunity to do something like that. You know, instead, he got up there and he blames Trump excessively. Like, even if you do think Trump was responsible for January 6th, and I don't think he he's in, in, you know, entirely innocent here. You know, you've got to do something to appeal to his supporters so that it just doesn't feel like another political exercise that will actually get people that maybe are marching in lockstep with Trump on these issues to, you know, step back for a moment and, and, and look to Joe Biden as a guy that's trying to appeal to them rather than a guy that's just trying to score political points off of them. My first gut reaction was, how in the world does this help him in 2022? So let me break down the four questions that I put out there. It's like we're having our own Seder here, talking to Mark Hemingway. Uh, you see his work at Real Clear Politics and a series of other places, Real Clear Investigations. Number one, did this speech connect with the American voter outside of the Beltway? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, you can tell it just in the rhetoric. I mean, you know, right after Biden gave his speech, you know, Vice President Kamala Harris got up there and compared to January 6th last year to um, 9-11 in Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor? Are you kidding me? 2,300 Americans died that day. In fact, my father was five years old and living in Pearl Harbor when it was bombed. You know, if I were a liberal, I'd complain about her minimizing my trauma or some such nonsense. But, I mean, it's just an absurd and offensive comparison to, to do this. Um, I can't imagine how anyone, you know, listens to this rhetoric and and looks at what's happening here. You know, a day where the only person that died was a protester who was, you know, breaking into the building and got shot by the cops and, you know, compares that to 2,300, you know, Americans in uniform dying from an attack by a foreign country. I mean, this is madness. Number two, did Joe Biden convince people that there was an insurrection one year ago on January 6th? Uh, no, I mean this is this is another part of the talking point that's absolutely crazy. Like, don't get me wrong, there was a riot at the Capitol, and the timing of that riot and the symbolism of it happening, you know, uh, with the backdrop of the transfer of power from the election, is all very, very bad. 
But, you know, think of it this way. What would have happened had there been a significant police presence at the Capitol that day that had repelled people from going into the building? Would if anyone looked at that and said that, oh, well, this was a coup attempt or would they have just said that it was, you know, a riot that got out of control, which is much more likely what it was. I mean, even the FBI has come out and said that, you know, they've examined all the plotters and stuff and said that there's scant evidence to show that there was a deliberate plot to go up there, go in there and, and mount an actual insurrection or an actual coup attempt. That's not what happened. It was a bunch of people who, in their own warped way, were actually upset about what they perceived was the unfairness of an election, which, by the way, is another point. Like, this didn't happen in a vacuum. Both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have both said publicly they considered Trump an illegitimate president who was, in, you know, who was only in office because of Russian um, election interference, even though we know that's not true. There was no condemnation for that. You know, once it, you normalize questioning the legitimacy of, of uh, people who win elections, you know, don't be surprised when that comes back to bite you when, you know, when it happens to your party. Talking to Mark Hemingway, you find his work at Real Clear Politics. You can also find his work at The Federalist. Going through Joe Biden's speech earlier today, January 6th, which I, 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 say, I, I have to tell you, man, um, I wasn't the only one who thought he was just flat out angry. He was screaming. He was yelling for a guy who who wants to call himself a, a, a uniter. Uh, there, there was nothing uniting. He told the 75 million Trump voters, kiss off and die in a fire. I mean, maybe not those words, but in close in attitude. That was my take. You? Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. And I think this goes back to I don't doubt that the anger was genuine, but this goes back to um, the idea of. Biden and the rest of the D.C. establishment being in a, in a giant bubble. I mean, the most important constituency for the Democratic Party appears to be the media, right? And there actually comes a point where the media being, you know, um, in, in such a singularity with the Democratic Party um, priorities that it actually harms both of their both the media and the Democratic Party in the sense that they create this feedback loop from which, you know, they're, they're totally out of touch with what's going on in the rest of the country and how other people view these things. After a year nonstop, again, of people in the media, you know, long before Kamala Harris and everything else, saying that this was 9-11, you know, um, they, they are, they've built this up in their own minds as being this, you know, huge threat to democracy and this, you know, huge crime uh, in a way that other people don't see it that way. So, of course, he's outraged because, He's been told that this thing was much worse than it was for a solid year every time he turned on the television and every time you heard anything from other people in the Democratic Party. So he just is, you know, out of touch with reality in terms of, you know, how people see this and how they saw the actual threat. So that brings us to my other two questions. Talked about whether or not it connected with voters, and and I, I don't believe it did. And did it convince people there was an insurrection? I don't think he accomplished that uh, either because he didn't really, you know, apply himself in that way because he was so incredibly angry. Did Biden in this speech bolster his image with Americans? And before you answer, you should know that Matt Lewis over at the Daily Beast has written an article saying today is the day Joe Biden became president. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I don't even really know what to say at this point in time. Uh, I, I really think that 
you know, again, there are plenty of people on the Republican side, I think, that you could point some fingers at in terms of, you know, led in, in terms of their response to January 6th, in terms of what they did leading up to it. And there are sane ways to go about critiquing that. And I wish that the more people were doing that. Um, but again, you know, this has to be a situation where a real leader is going to call on Americans to find a way to come together and not instead demonize half the country. Um, and, you know, if you look at the Democratic rhetoric surrounding this sort of thing, like Eric Swalwell, you know, who ran for president as a Democrat and is, you know, a big voice among Democrats in Congress, um, is coming out and saying that if a Republican, if Republicans win the midterms and then they win uh, the presidential election in 2024, this will be, quote, the last election of our lifetime. Because Republicans, at once in power, are going to destroy democracy as we know it. I mean, he's undermining democracy by suggesting that the other party is going to be the one to undermine democracy, even though there's no evidence that that's going to occur. Um, again, this is all about playing partisan games and trying to score points. I mean, what do Democrats have at this point in time heading into the midterms? Joe Biden's presidency has been an abysmal success in terms of – I mean, an abysmal failure in terms of um, – trying to get any sort of domestic agenda passed. Um, the uh, Afghan withdrawal was complete disaster. They got 13 soldiers killed, and then they turned around in retaliation and, you know, killed 10 million, sorry, 10 uh, people with a drone, and they, they, and they haven't even answered any questions about any of this. I mean, and those are like, the, you know, basically the, the most notable things of his presidency, not accomplishing things in Afghanistan. Um, so what do, they, what, do they, what do they have to do to get people to vote for them this year? And what are they going to do? The which is, is the only thing you can do is scare them. Which is my number four question. That is the final question that I have, Mark, is all politics are local. Joe Biden had to know this, that giving this speech, this was going to play to, to, to local constituencies for members of Congress. Did Biden help Democrats come November? Again, Americans have so many immediate and pressing problems right now. You know, in, in huge swaths of the country, the freaking schools aren't open for crying out loud. Um, in huge swaths of the country, businesses are shutting down because of COVID restrictions that the, you know, um, that blue and Democratic areas won't let up on, even though there's all kinds of evidence that we should be letting up on them now. Um, you know, the inflation is through the roof. Um, we still have supply chain problems. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that are really serious and pressing problems. And they, Democrats, even though they control all three branches, so they control all, they control both houses of Congress and the presidency right now, they are, you know, not doing anything. And they can't do anything um, because they are trapped in this place where they can't do anything that doesn't appeal to their hard left constituencies, but that will simultaneously alienate more moderate voters and they're just stuck. They don't know what to do. Uh, so the answer is the only thing they can do left is to say that the Republicans are worse and try and paint them out to be, you know, people who are going to destroy democracy when, you know, I think most people have a you know, much more reasonable uh, view on that. I mean, Glenn Youngkin, uh, is, you know, the new Republican governor of Virginia is not about to, you know, burn down uh, the Capitol. I mean, there are plenty of Republicans out there at the state and local level, especially that are, you know, getting things done and, you know, their states are open for business. And that contrast is really unfavorable. So they have to come up with a whole nother way to tar all Republicans across the country. Mark Hemingway, find him on Twitter at Heminator, H-E-M-I-N-A-T-O-R, Real Clear Investigations, The Federalist. I appreciate you taking the time, Mark. Always a pleasure. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. 
The Dow is down a, a tick. NASDAQ is up 64. It's kind of interesting what's going on with the market right now. There's a report from CNBC that hedge funds are selling tech with with purpose. Like they're they they're either you know decided now is the time uh, to take uh, as, as as much profit as possible. Maybe uh, they're seeing some other kind of issue moving in a different direction. We've seen crypto get punched in the face over the last 24 hours. Bitcoin was down in a huge way right now at 43,000, but it was down under 42, I believe it was. Actually, this is kind of close to the lows for the day. I mean, it dropped massively from just the other day uh, down five dollars $6,000. But there are some people who are still so high on it. This is going to 80000 Full disclosure, I do own crypto. I don't own enough to count. I am not yet a crypto millionaire, but dang it, I'm working on it. And a sign that producer Ari has been doing some buying, Bentley has reported a second consecutive year of record sales. <laughs> That's right. Bentley sold 14,659 vehicles. Wait a second. Bentley sold 15,000 cars? It's a 31% increase over the previous sales record of 11,206 in 2020. They sold 3,500 more vehicles. I guess somebody on Wall Street did make some money. I got to admit, if I'm in the luxury game... Bentley is very attractive. But I often think that people see it in the luxury world as Bentley is just a poor man's roles. Am I wrong in how people see it? Right? It's it's like I see when when, when you watch, for example, videos. Like there's that guy who's like, hey, uh, nice car. What do you do for a living? That dude? Um, it's It's a lot of Lamborghinis. And I have nothing against Lamborghini. But I always get the feeling that Lamborghini is a poor man's Ferrari. Am I off base on that, producer Ferrari? Like, am I, am I not seeing it right? You're asking me. I think if you spend over thirty-five thousand on a car, you're insane. Yeah, well, I, I, I guess I, I, I apologize for asking you then. But I think that's the way people view it. That said, I think Bentley is gorgeous. I dig the style. But, like, there, there are some of the roles. Not, I mean, it's the old school stuff is cool. There was actually an opportunity for me to get, like, a, a 1970s roles. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, who could possibly keep up with that maintenance? How much is that? Uh, how much are you paying to keep that car in the shop every week? But it's like when we talk about sports cars, right? Lamborghini, I think, I think it's a beautiful vehicle. But is it a poor man's Ferrari? And does none of it matter if you're talking about Bugatti? That's uh, that's my question. So did people get some good bonuses and say, you know what, I'm going to step it up from getting a Range Rover or, or something like that and figure it out well, the way prices of vehicles are, you might as well. I, I find that number fascinating. I find that number fascinating. There is such a market for the high end. Where that's really happened, uh, Spirits. High-end tequila, 
selling like nothing else. High-end bourbon, the fastest-growing category in, in the bourbon category. We're talking about stuff that's over $100 a bottle. People are really willing to spend it on tequila. That has been the, the fastest-growing spirit in America. People realize that tequila is uh, more than Jose Cuervo and body shots, which do not knock body shots. But really understanding uh, sipping tequila and añejos and things like that, uh, you know, finding really good resposados, that's been amazing to people. And the other reason tequila's gone up is because no tariff issues. Things between the U.S. and Europe had a lot of tariffs on bourbon and on scotch and things like that. Tequila, no tariffs. So it's been a little bit easier for people to get their hands on, and they have been going to it. Facebook... They're getting into more censorship. I've got the latest story you won't believe. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.